0: Welcome to this week's podcast, Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to jump right in there this this morning. We're going through the book of Revelation, and I don't know if you know this. You you probably do. You're a smart group. Yeah, I shouldn't question that. (laughs) Revelation means the unveiling. Often we think of the book of Revelation, we just think about what's to come. You know, it's all about the future, and it's, it's about the future. It's about Christ's return. But it's also an unveiling of what God is doing today. That the symbols, the images are images of hope to show us how God is at work, both in the past, in the churches, in the book of Revelation, but also today. What is God doing today, and what is God saying to his church? You know, there is a lot of challenges in our culture. As a pastor, it's almost overwhelming to consider and address every single one. There are issues around abortion in our culture. There's issues around racism and indifference towards racism in our culture. There are questions around sexuality in our culture. There are economic questions. There are wars. There are rumors of wars. All of these issues are important to God. And all of us find a a roadmap in that, don't we? We find a kind of a a path to address abortion, to address racism, we find a tribe, we find a team. The question is not what team are we on, but what does God say about these things and what does he want us to do in relationship to following him and not just following the culture or following our political tribes, but what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ faithfully in a world that's broken? And can we be honest, the solutions aren't easy. The solutions aren't easy. Around a lot of these issues, it's not as if you address one issue, it's all going to take care of itself. No, there are issues that we have to be sensitive to. And as we kind of come into this season, you know, one of the prayers that somebody taught me to pray, I went down to this Denver prayer lunch, and this pastor got up and said, Guys, listen, well, every time you see bad news, here's what you need to pray. You ready for this? Real simple. The most often prayed, in the, prayed, prayed prayer, prayed prayer in the New Testament is, Lord, have mercy. Before you take a political opinion, before you take a personal opinion, just say, Lord, Lord, would you have mercy? Would you have mercy over the abortion issue? Father, would you have mercy over what's going on in Buffalo? And I don't know if you know they're gathering today to recognize what took place in the tragedies. Lord, would you just have mercy? So often we're evaluating those who are grieving instead of just learning to grieve with those who grieve. And see, as we come to this this letter to the church in Smyrna, this is a church that's suffering. It's a church that's under persecution, under tribulation, and the question is, Jesus, what are you doing? And the question for us is, how do we become, how do we live as faithful Christians in a world where there is suffering and persecution, where there is tribulation and hardship? How do we live faithfully in a world like that? Well, let's read this letter and pick it up in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they're Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation, but be faithful. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, as you... Through your spirit gave these words to the church. May the church listen to what the Spirit is saying. And Father, that's true for us today. What is the Spirit of God? What is the Word of God saying to us today? Father, would you enable us by by your grace and just by humbling ourselves in your presence to set aside just all our agendas and all the things that we think are so important and just simply listen, Father, what are you saying to the church in this day? we have been called for a moment such as this. And and you don't call those and just send them out. You equip us. And so, Father, today, would we be equipped to hear your voice and to know what is the Spirit of God saying to us at Bergen Park Church in Evergreen, Colorado for such a time as this? Meet us here. In Jesus' name. Amen. There you go. Southern Baptist back there. Hey, John Ortberg wrote a book, and in this book, he talked about he kind of presented this situation. Imagine you're, you've got your infant in your arms and for five minutes you get a script of that child's life. And as you're reading over that script, the question becomes, what would I take out? And here's the script. Ooh. Here's the script that John Arberg John writes. He said, you read that your child will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easy for some kids will be laborious for yours. In high school, your kid will make a great circle of friends and then one of them will die of cancer. And after high school, this child will actually get into the college they wanted to attend, but while there, there was a car crash and your child will lose a leg and go through a difficult depression. A few years later, your child will get a great job, then lose that job in an economic downturn. Your child will get married And then go through the grief of separation. If this was a script of your child's life, your infant's life, as you're holding them in your hands, wouldn't you be tempted to take some of those events out? Certainly the loss of a leg, the the death of a friend that that dies of cancer, loss of a job, separation of marriage. I think all of us would look at our our kids' lives We say, okay, God, I don't want them to go through this. I don't want them to experience this. But it could be that these are the events that God is gonna use in their life to strengthen them, to give them compassion, to change them. And I wonder for many of us, we're going through challenges and situations that are difficult in our heart. And we may say, Lord, we want this, we want this taken away. And often what God does is in the midst of those challenges and hardships, he doesn't just take them away, what he does is he reveals himself in the midst of them and he unveils what he's doing. As the book of Revelation does, it's an unveiling of what God is doing and in this church that's going through tribulation, it's pulling back the curtain saying, hey, this is what's really happening. I know you see persecution. I know the oppressor has power, but listen, you're with me. And there are resources that you have in me that you can rely upon and you're not abandoned and though the pain is real and it's hard, I'm at work in your life. And so to this church in Smyrna, Jesus is speaking and he's reminding the church that just because they're going through hardship and difficulty doesn't mean that they've been abandoned. Instead, if you look in verse 8, it's interesting in how each one of these letters, Jesus is presented in a unique way. Last week, he was the one that walks among the seven golden lampstands, meaning Jesus is present with the churches. Today, he is the first and the last. He is the one who has died died. And rose again. Amen. Now, why does that matter? Because what he's saying is, listen, I've got your life. I'm the first and the last. I'm the first word over your life, and I will be the last word over your life. And I got the middle too. The Roman government doesn't have your life, I've got your life. Cancer doesn't have the last word, I've got your life the hardships you're going through, the pain you're going through, the sin that you brought upon yourself, it doesn't have you. I've got your life. He's saying, I am the bookends of what you will experience in life. I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the one who suffered and I am the one that rose again in that resurrection life. It lives in you. See, what, what John's using, he's using a, a picture of what, of, of who God was described in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter forty-eight. God says to Israel, listen to me, O Jacob, in Israel whom I've called, I am he. I am the first and I am the last. Jesus is saying, I am the one, I am the creator who holds all things in his hands. And that's comforting to someone that's going through hardship and difficulty and struggle. I'm not alone. He has not abandoned me. Because see, this church in, in Smyrna, if you look in verse nine, was facing great tribulation. And he says, I know your tribulation. I know what's going on. Now, he knows this because on the one hand, he walks among the churches. Jesus is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. But he also knows this because he is the one who died and rose again. He went through persecution, suffering, hardship. He understands what it is to struggle. He understands what it is to be tempted. And this word tribulation in the New Testament, it's an interesting word. It's, it's a technical term, and it's the word flipsis. And it literally means pressure. He's saying, I know the pressure that you're under. And the idea of pressure is an idea of boulders that are, that are pressing down upon you. There's a weight that's over you, a weight that's insurmountable, a weight that you cannot lift. And he's saying, I understand the crushing weight that's pressing down on your life. Some translations will capture it. affliction, oppression, persecution. I know your flipses. I know your pressure. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you're sharing something to someone and they say, "Listen, I know you're suffering. I know you've been abused. I know you're rejected. I know what you lost." I know how you've been treated. There's a comfort simply in someone acknowledging what you've been through. There's a greater comfort when the one acknowledging that is the one who created you, loves you, and holds your life in his hands. He's saying, I know. I know. Now, there's something that this church wants to hear from Jesus. Hey, I know you're suffering. Because he's going to have two commands. On the one hand, do not be afraid. So I know you're suffering, do not be afraid, be faithful, and what do we want to hear? And I will take away your suffering, right? Yes. Because if I'm faithful to Jesus, he's going to be faithful to me, and life's going to be great. But do you notice that's not what he says? He says, I know you're suffering, I know your affliction. Verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful. But what does he say? Faithful unto death. Man, I don't want to write a story like that. God, can I get a different author? You're going to go through it. You're not going to avoid it. Be faithful. And why? Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and rose again, and I am with you. That's challenging. That's hard. It doesn't fit with our American context sometimes, because we want to win, don't we? We want to succeed. I want to overcome. I don't want a faith that loses. I want a faith that wins. But see, a faith that wins is a faith that's faithful to Jesus, not faithful to the outcome you want. That's what he's calling us to. Faithful unto unto death. Oh, I keep getting this caught. You know, I love how Tim Keller captures this. He says it this way, Christianity does not so much offer a solution to the problem of suffering, but rather provides the promise of a God who is completely present with us in suffering. Only Christians believe in a God who says, here I am alongside you. I have experienced the same suffering you have. I know what it is like. No other religion begins to offer that assurance. See, why was this church under such oppression and difficulty? It wasn't because they brought it on themselves. You know, each one of these letters, Jesus says, I love this about you, I hate this about you. Except for this church. To the church in Smyrna, he says, Listen, guys, I'm just commending you. Because see, sometimes the persecution we face in the world, it's just us being stupid. Can we be honest about that? I think we need to hear that sometimes. Sometimes, church, the persecution we experience in the world can be just us being jerks. There's a book, actually, Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk. It's a good book. You know, Russell Moore, he was the uh, president of ethics What was he? I wrote it down here. And Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptists, and he wrote this recently. He says, we now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism. And not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but hear this, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. We are losing a generation not because they're secularists, because they think we are secularists. and see, that means a lot of different things to us. The question is, in this moment, are we going to follow Jesus as we go through difficulty and challenge? Or are we simply gonna follow the culture, even of the culture of the church, which doesn't always line up with the culture of what Christ and the teachings of what Christ is leading us into? 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted, You know, Smyrna, all of these churches were described as a lampstand, and a lampstand gives light, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, hey, you were salt and light. Now, Jesus was light, and he came to the darkness, and what happened? The darkness didn't accept it, because darkness responds to light in one of two ways. One, they accept it, embrace it, and change. Or when the light comes, what does light do? It exposes, doesn't it? Sometimes you don't want to be exposed. And sometimes the darkness cannot tolerate the light. And the reason there was persecution and hardship in this church is because this church was following Christ in the midst of a culture that didn't love God, didn't want God. And the darkness was pushing back to say, we cannot tolerate the light that this church is giving off. This word tribulation, again, flips us as a technical term in the New Testament. And it's an interesting term. You find it where there is a clashing of kingdoms. Tribulation comes where the kingdom of God comes up against the rebellion of the kingdom of man. It's that edge where those two kingdoms align. Jesus said he came to bring the king the good news of the kingdom of God that he is the king. He's restoring his kingdom. He has a people. He has values, and as those values and those people go out into the world, there's going to be a rub against the kingdoms of this world. And in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, Daryl Johnson describes. This word flipsis translated tribulation this way. He said flipsis is the pressure experienced as the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdom of human beings in rebellion against God. Flipsis is the pressure experienced along the lines where the kingdoms clash, along the lines where the kingdom of light clashes with the kingdom of darkness, along the line where the reign of justice clashes with the reign of injustice, along the line where the rule of life crashes. With the rule of death. Flipsis is the pressure experience where idols are being unmasked. Flipsis is the pressure experience where human pride is confronted with a call to repentance. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus into flipsis. Now, it doesn't always have to look like persecution, it can simply be the decisions we have to make in life. What am I going to choose? Am I going to submit to God when it comes to my finances, my sexuality, the way I do marriage, the way I do life, or am I going to do it my own way? That's a flipsis. That's the collision of the kingdom of God with the kingdom, the values of this world. And the question is, what am I going to submit to? What am I going to surrender to? Flipsis, this church in Smyrna was was suffering persecution and hardship, and and it shows up in three ways. So if you want to jump back in in verse 9 and 10. It shows up in the poverty they were experiencing, the slander they were under, and the suffering they were enduring. So watch this in verse nine. I know your tribulation. I know your flipsis. I know that these kingdoms are clashing. You're trying to surrender to the king, but there's so much more. There's so much compromise in the world. I know your poverty, but you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now we gotta explain that do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation, but be faithful. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. See, the city of Smyrna was a city, a port city that was filled with wealth. But it was also filled with the worship of the emperor. And see, the reason John is on the Isle of Patmos is he would not say Domitian is Lord. He wouldn't surrender to presidents. He wouldn't surrender to emperor. He wouldn't surrender to nation. He would only surrender to his king. And so he was cast aside. And see, within this community, there were also Jews who were following Christ. And see, one of the things the Jews had is they had a bit of time in which they built up a relationship with Rome. And Rome said, listen to the Jews, you do not have to say Caesar is Lord." If you would just simply offer a tax at the temple, you would be excluded. And now all of these Jews are coming to faith in Christ. And now these Jewish Christians who are following Jesus are saying, No, we're not going to make that compromise anymore. And what that's doing to the Jewish community is they're looking at it and saying, We're going to lose our exemption, guys. <laughs> we're going to lose our exemption. And so, what they just start doing is they start telling on these Christians, listen, they're not one of us. They're not Jews any longer. They follow this crucified Jesus. They eat his body and drink his flesh. They have orgies. Have you heard those stories? And they start calling them out. That's why they're called the synagogue of Satan. Not because Jews are satanic, it's because the word Satan means accuser. And in Revelation 12, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And they're accusing these Christians, and because of that, they're poor. Because they're seeking to do business the way of Jesus, money the way of Jesus, sex the way of Jesus, family the way of Jesus. They're allowing his kingdom to influence every value that they have. And they're losing businesses, opportunities, and they're also being slandered. They're being called names. They're, the Romans are coming and, and they're taking away their possessions, they're putting them in prison. And so there are visible threats and there are invisible threats. And in verse 10, we see an invisible threat. The first two visible threats are poverty and slander. The invisible threat is the suffering that's coming against them. Because it says in verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. And again, remember, Revelation's the unveiling. I'm showing you what's really happening. I know you're being arrested by Romans, but there is a power and a force behind that arrest that is greater than flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. Now, we don't always see that. We don't always know when we're being persecuted in that way. But see, Jesus is pulling back the veil. He's showing this church what's really taking place in the world and it says, behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison. I thought it was the Romans. That you may be tested. But notice that testing, that persecution, the tribulation that comes is limited. Satan is not an equal power to God. It's no dualism of God and Satan battling it out. No, he is limited. It's saying it's going to last for 10 days. Now, 10 days doesn't mean literally 10 days. Because in the book of Revelation, often numbers are symbolic. And he's saying it, it will last for a limited time. And here's the promise. I will give you, I will give you the crown of life. Behind the tribulation that you're experiencing is a force that's not so much, listen, it's not so much directed at you as it's directed at Christ. You see, the the goal of that force is not just simply for us to fail, it's for us to give up on Jesus. The goal of that temptation is what? Maybe you'll fall into shame deep enough that you'll give up on Jesus. It's always directed at the Lord, the King, and that if, if we can have enough tribulation, enough hardship, enough difficulty, enough sickness in our life, maybe we would give up on the one who is the first and the last, the one that can rescue us out of the challenges that we're enduring. But here's his command in verse 10, be faithful. Do not be afraid. Be faithful. Now, often fear and faith get put alongside. I think that's a little dangerous. Perfect love drives out fear, it's true. But who gave you fear? God. Fear is good. When your child is in trouble, you should be a little afraid. Because you know what fear does? It says, you're limited. You're limited. Fear leads to strength. Because what fear does is it reaches out and it cries out. Fear leads to trust. Fear leads to dependency. Now, you can either trust in yourself, and that's where faith is the opposite of fear. Or you can trust in God. And he's saying to this church, don't trust in what you see. Understand that? Because again, Revelation's the unveiling. This is what God's doing behind the scenes. Don't trust in what you see. Don't trust in your interpretation of things. Don't trust in what the world is saying about you and your value and your significance. Trust in the one who says, though you are poor, you are rich. Trust in the one that, that holds all things in his hands. Trust in the one that went through the suffering that you're enduring, yet rose again and gave that resurrection life to you. Don't trust in the way you see things or what others say about you. Trust in what he is doing and what he says about you. That's where faith. That's where faith lands. You know, and if you think that this persecution and suffering is something that was for those days in the past, no, it's, it's still alive today. One of the ministries that I follow is a ministry called Open Door. And Open Door is a ministry that tracks persecution across, across the world. You'll see this image if you'll put that up. And they talk about the persecution that's happening across the globe. Right now, 340 million Christians, 340 million Christians are under persecution. It says a Christian dies every two hours. 4,380 buildings, churches are attacked each year. And then from that website, I wrote down that 5,898 Christians were killed last year for following Christ. What they also do is they have a list of the top 10, top 10 areas where persecution is spreading. And, and this year, for the first time, 2022, Afghanistan is the most dangerous place to be a Christian above North Korea. And of those countries, I, I had that. There it is. It's on the floor. Here it goes. Top 10 countries where it is most dangerous to follow Christ Afghanistan, North Korea. You can see. Those areas in darkest orange, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Iran, and India. It still continues today. And what are we supposed to pray? Remember what it taught? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Father, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, one of the challenges that the early church had, and certainly we see this in Matthew 23, is they would elevate the lesser commands and they would ignore mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Lord, have mercy. Church, a lot of the world is saying, hey, what are you going to do about the injustice I'm experiencing? What are we doing about the injustice our own brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing? And maybe that's, that defines you as well. It's not just something that's globally. It's something that we can experience today. And so, the implications, how do we respond? Because see, when you're under pressure again, you often feel weak, you feel vulnerable. And you look at the oppressor, and the oppressor has power. And when the oppressor has power, there's very little that you can do. And what Jesus is showing us is what he's doing. And so here's just three ideas we can take away when it comes to the challenges, the pressure that we experience in life. And the first thing is this. Listen, pressure is transformational. When it leads us to Jesus' presence. Pressure is transformational. Not on its own, but when it leads us to Jesus' presence. Again, in verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. And then he says, but you are rich. That's not how the world sees you. The world sees you as dirty, as poor, as foolish, as shameful. But I see you as rich. Why? You know, Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, Take care. Be on guard against all kind of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be careful what you put your identity in, because it will be what you worship. Because see, Peter says, You have an inheritance. It's not a material inheritance, it's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. But he also says you may have to go through trials of various kinds. And why? Because these have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. When pressure comes, church, listen, we need to run to the one who is the first and the last. The one who is with us through the valley of the shadow of death. When pressure comes, when hardship comes, say, Lord, have mercy, and then run to him. And sometimes we need to ask God, would you you unveil what's going on? Would you help me to see the way you see? Would you help me to know who I am in Christ and not just simply who others say I am? Would you show me my sin and my brokenness through the lens of grace and redemption, not through the lens of legalism and the law? We have to see ourselves as God sees us. So when, when tribulation comes, we need to run into his presence. Second, pressure is transformational when it leads to faithfulness. See, pressure plus presence plus faithfulness equals renewal. And that's what he says in verse 10. You notice that phrase, the devil's about to throw into prison? Now, when someone's thrown into prison, that wasn't the punishment. That was the holding. What was the follow was death. The Romans didn't punish with imprisonment. They punished with crucifixion. But notice he says, this has come for what purpose? To test. That's a hard test right there. What is it saying to us? When you go through tribulation, it will show you what you're worshiping. And that's repentance. Father, forgive me. I want health more than you. I want money more than you. I want this fixed more than you. Those aren't bad things to ask for. But what he's saying is you need me. And as James says, consider joy when you face trials because the testing of your faith, it develops perseverance. God is doing something in your life right now. And you may be like a parent that wants to take those suffering, that that experience out of your child's life. You may want to remove that situation from your life. But I would encourage you to invite him into it. And say, I am your child. Father, show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do. Because see, pressure results in transformation when his presence is there. Pressure results in transformation when we are faithful. And finally, pressure results in transformation when we live through the victory that Jesus has won. Because did you notice he said, I'll give you the crown of life? Now that's the victor's crown. That's not the crown of a king. It's the crown of the guy who ran the race. The guy who put in the effort, the guy who got up early for year after year after year and only ate the good stuff and didn't eat the bad stuff, and he ran the race and he came in first. And through faith in what he has done, he gives you his identity, he gives you his standing before the Father, he gives you life. That's the gospel. What's the gospel? I didn't get what I deserved because I didn't run the race, I didn't get up early. I ate bad stuff, you know. I was staying up late watching movies and doing, you know, that's what I was doing while Jesus was running the race and being faithful to the Father. And on the cross, my brokenness, my sinfulness falls on him and his righteousness and the Father places that crown of life and he's saying there's something more important in life than just life. And see, what is eternal life? Eternal life is not just life in the future, it's life with God today. He says, this is eternal life that you may know God and see life in the future is just more of that it's more of that and maybe these challenges and tribulations have come into your life so that the presence of God might be more real but i'll tell you you need community for that you ain't going to do that on your own if you're going through tribulation and hardship you're not going to fix that i hope you can listen to me and listen you're not going to fix that on your own you need brothers and sisters who love you enough to point you to Christ not to what you want cuz you got those people at work go chase what you want right you're right your wife is a pain you got people who are going to kind of agree with what you're struggling with you need people that are going to point you to the presence of Christ and faithfulness to Christ and say your victory listen jason i know i know what you think you need but your victory isn't there it's not there that's going to that's going to taste sweet for a moment it's going to it's going to bring hardship for an eternity don't run there the question is will we persevere did this church persevere You know, it's interesting when you look at all the churches in in Revelation, which are in modern-day Turkey. This is one place where the church persevered. In Ephesus, there's no city in Ephesus. There's no church in Ephesus. But in Smyrna, it's now called Izmir. The church still exists. And actually, yesterday I was looking on a website, and I I pulled these these images up. I was watching the video of a worship service, and this worship service was in Smyrna. The pressure is still there. But instead of running to the ways of the world, instead of giving in to compromise, they're running to his presence, they're pushing into faithfulness, they're allowing his victory to become their victory. And they're doing it in community with others. This church is still alive. Now it's struggling, but it's alive. The question is, Are we gonna be faithful today in the situations we're in? Not to just simply to give into the culture of the world or even the culture of the church, but to say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna follow you. I wanna hear from you. And I wanna do what you want me to do. Hey, we're gonna celebrate communion together. If you you grab those elements on the way in, I I wanna encourage you to take them out. If you haven't yet, we're gonna have a moment of reflection. I, I don't know what... You know, as, we, as I get up here, I know how God convicts me and I know what He's using as I, I walk through these passages. I don't know what He's doing in your life. That's between you and the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit will convict you where the Spirit wants to convict you. But realize conviction is not something you create, it's something that's given to you by God. Don't waste it. Do you hear me on that? Don't waste it. After the service, there'll be people up front to pray over you. If you need encouragement, if you're going through difficulty, if there is strife, if there is temptation and brokenness in your life, you can't do that alone. You need people to pray over you and to ask God to bless you, to strengthen you, to empower. If you need to get into community, you need to come to speak with us and we need to move you into a small group where you can have community around you, people pointing you to Christ, maybe teaching you more about what Scripture says. And so wherever you are, would you take this opportunity as we reflect just to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Who am I? And then how can I faithfully follow you? Let's spend a few moments in prayer. Christian, no. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But if you have been set free, stand firm and do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be burdened again, yoked again surrendered again to a yoke of slavery for my yoke hear this my yoke is easy my burden is light because I am gentle and humble in heart and I want to give you rest for your souls Father whatever burden we're carrying would we cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us And on this world, Lord, would we pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy over the unborn. Lord, have mercy over those that are under racial oppression. Lord, have mercy over those that are struggling through poverty and affliction. Father, Lord, have mercy over those that are in the midst of war and pain and struggle and difficulty. Father, Lord, have mercy over those who are struggling with their identity struggling with who you are. Father, Lord, have mercy. May they surrender that burden that is heavy that comes from sin and comes from this world and surrender to the kingdom where your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord Jesus, come in, renew us, strengthen us, allow us to admit that we we need your presence, Father. And in the midst of needing your presence, you're calling us to faithfulness. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, take and eat for this is my body which which is broken for you. Receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, meaning the new relationship that is now established with him through his blood. Let us receive it together.